you about your childhood. Tell me a little bit about where you were born and what your younger years were like. I was born in Lamas, Mississippi in the year of 1921. And my father was a Baptist minister. And I grew up there until I was 16 years old. Then I left and uh, came to Chicago. Did you leave on your own, or was it, did the whole family move up? No, on my own. Nobody but just me. What made you decide to move to Chicago? Well, uh, I have to answer your question like this. Uh, when you got a lot of livestock in a pasture, and the grazing get low, what do you do? Do you move them, or do they break out and go other places, or what happens? So you went to other places. Right. Looking for a better place to live. Was it a tough environment to grow up in? Uh, pretty rough. Because of racism? And yeah, racism and stuff like that, you know. And was it easy to understand racism at that time as a young kid? Well, when you know nothing about nothing else, sure, it's easy to understand it. But you know something is wrong. If I was to ask you about your first encounter with the blues, can you tell me about that? Yeah, my first encounter with the blues when I was about five years old. Because I've been knowing uh, Sonny Boy number two ever since I was a kid. And I used to hear him uh, play harmonica. And it was uh, another fellow named James Scott. He never did get famous, but he did come to Chicago in the later years. And then uh, after I became eight or nine years old, then he used to steal me out from my father's house to take me to, uh, you know, parties and stuff like that to help him play, you know, give me one or two dollars, you know what I mean? But he had to have me back home before my father and them got out of bed didn't, there's going to be some explosion. <laughs> and what kind of music was that that you played? Harmonica. What, what kind of music would that be? Would that be blues or? Nothing but the blues. That's where all the blues money came from out of the South. How did your father feel about you playing the blues? No, no, that's why I told you. If I didn't get back in time, you know, I mean, and uh, he knowed about it, you know. No, he didn't want me to play blues. I couldn't, I couldn't play in his house. I couldn't play no blues or nothing like that in his house. He said that was devil music. And you notice on some um, Andrew's promo, he got devil and listened to the devil music. I was telling him about my father wouldn't allow me to play. And then I had an older brother named Alvin, and uh, he used to let me come to his house, you know, and I'd sit up at night by the lamp lights, didn't have no electricity yet. I'd sit up by the lamp lights, you know, and blow my harp, you know. He, he would let me, he liked to hear me trying to blow. <laughs> and so that's how I got my rehearsal, you know. Now my daddy, they all was Christians, quartet singers and stuff like that. 
how did you expose get exposure to the songs out there then if you couldn't play it at home like where would you hear new blues tunes or like this guy I was telling you about James Scott uh, they had all one of them line up Grassbone you know what I mean I used to go over there and uh he would play that stuff, you know, me and and Blind Blake, Blind Lemon, Charlie Patton, all that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, you know, when I go out to the little town, you know what I mean, I hear Sonny Boy with that harmonica. And uh, that took effect on me. And matter of fact, ain't no music in my family at all. No more my kids now. My kids, they, they play music now. So you would go see Sonny Boy. Is that when you decide that you want to be a musician? I don't know. I always have little music. I don't know why. I always have little music. And nobody never taught me music. Really, it's a gift because there's no one in my family plays music or nothing. Well, in meeting with a lot of people, I've decided that some people have that natural talent. Yeah, um, it is. And even though one has to work at that natural talent, some people have right. get a head start. Right. At what point did you feel like you were very good at the harmonica? Well, I left home at 16 years old, and I didn't do nothing but play harmonica until Uncle Sam called up with me and put me in the army. I went in the army when I was 20 years old come out 24. So when you left home at that at 16 you knew that that's what you wanted to pursue? That's all I did. Tell me about your first impression of Chicago. Well, uh, Chicago, it was a dizzy place, you know what I mean, and uh, with lots of people all, all the time, then it was a place, I guess you heard talk of Max Luke. Maxwell Street, and some of them called it Jewtown. Well, that's why I used to be down there, you know, playing my harp after I went to Chicago. See, uh, after I went in the from Chicago, I was discharged out of Chicago, I mean discharged out of the army to Camp Grand, Illinois, back in Chicago, November the 16th, 1945. And in the army, I was bugling. Trump, I played trumpet too. So I was bugling in the army. Then after I would blow uh, my calls, you know, on the bugle, I used to blow through a big old PA system, you know what I mean? I put my bugle up to the PA system, blow all the calls. And gosh, that sounded like a saxophone to me. And after that, I started taking my harmonica, you know, trying to see what it sounded like, you know what I mean. And boy, that really hit the lick. And then after I was discharged out of the army back into Chicago, I went out on 504 South State Street in Chicago and bought me a PA system, two speakers. And it had a funny little old mic, looked like a snuff box. And so I hit the Maxwell Street. Nobody on Maxwell Street doing this kind of stuff. Nobody never heard a harmonica sound like that before, you know what I mean? And matter of fact, when God started copying off of me, 
during that time, guitars, very few of them had pickups in them. Some of them had a little pickup in the hole of the guitar. And then when they started making another pickup called a little demo pickup, made like a pistol, it didn't pick up much. And then with that harmonica, I guess it would drown out all the guitar players. And so uh, when little Walter and big Walter came into Chicago and seen me doing this, well, that was about six or seven years later. Then they didn't know how to control the thing, and they couldn't get no work, you know what I mean, because <laughs> they didn't know how to control the, the amplifier. Well, um, now to back up a little bit, after I went to Maxwell Street, uh, I know you heard of Floyd Jones and Moody Jones. Well, Floyd see me playing on the streets there by myself. You know, had me a little box out there collecting money. You know, and then uh, oh, I tell you, I used to make a lot of money on, on Maxwell Street. Uh, I made more money on Maxwell Street than I did in some of them clubs. And so Floyd seen me playing on the street. He asked me, could he hook up with me? I told him, yeah, I'd be glad to have him. So uh, we hooked up, and about three weeks later. Moody Jones came along, and then uh, he joined me, and so that's when my little band started, you know. And by the way, that's when I made my first record, you know, Telephone Blue and Snookin' Moody's Boogie. And little Walter took my Snookin' Moody's Boogie and made a joke out of it. They said little Walter, but he did not. When I made that number, Little Walter was still in Louisiana trying to beat the dog to the cinnamon trees. He was running with cinnamon. <laughs> um, what was it like when you got that, when you played the harmonica through the PA system? I mean, did you know what you had started? Or was it yeah, just Yeah, sure, sure. I knew it was going to be history because uh, he had never got a sound like that before, you know what I mean? Even Sunday boy, you stand up before these old big mics, you know, they have in clubs and things. Well, nobody holding no mic in their in their hand, you know, and do it. And uh, that and and Sonny Boy, he never did really learn how to govern that thing. See, he was used to. That's why he can get so much out of a a harmonica, you know what I mean? Cause he's standing before, you know what I mean? And he got nothing control but that, you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You got to know how to control that mic in there to get that kind of sound out of there. Now. I know through talking to harmonica players like David, I know the tone and the way the harmonica sounds, I mean the way you play it is one thing, but the way it comes out through the amplifiers, mm -hmm. through the microphones that you use. And ain't nobody got no tone like me. I'll answer that before you get to it. Yeah, but go ahead. How did you get that? I mean obviously playing it acoustically and playing it through a PA system must have been quite different. Oh yes. Oh yes. Because when you start on this like I created overseas, you know what I mean? If you don't know what you're doing, you ain't got no control. No, you're just blowing through there. You ain't got no control. If I was to ask you about Maxwell Street, because obviously a lot of people played on Maxwell Street, can you just describe what Maxwell Street was like in those days? In those days, if you was going to buy something, and didn't want to pay much money for it. And if you knew what you was looking for, 
You can find anything you want down there on Maxwell Street. And uh, if they have a Sabbath day, you call Sunday. Every day on Maxwell Street was just like Sunday. Every day. And, and I used to be down there every every day playing my harmonica. And what time would you start? What time would you end? Oh my God! Sometimes we would start just at daylight down there, and then there was a guy had a radio shop down there. We called him Fat, but his name was Bernard, and uh, that's why I first started there. Getting liquid from him, you know, plug into his and run me a cord out and sit on the street. <clears throat> and man, you talking about people, you talking about people, oh my God. And you talking about money, I used to make money down there. Yeah. Sometimes I'd have so much money when I go home, I had to walk sideways trying to get money. And you say, oh shit, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I loved it at Maxwell Street. And so I'm the one that created that sound down there on Mexico Street. But it was a happening place before you went down there. There were other musicians already playing down yeah, there. Yeah, other musicians. Oh, let me see. It was a guy you call Stovepipe and One Legged Sam. It was doing the skies down there. And, and People were just shopping, they'd pass by, throw you money, or would they just stand around watching? Oh, they'd just stand around me like vultures from morning to night. Can you, do you remember that? I mean, can you picture that like it was yesterday? Sure. And what kind of stuff did you play when you were playing on Maxwell Street? Well, uh, I played things about the army, you know what I mean? And then, uh, you see, uh, Sonny Boy Number One had recorded, you know, and put out records before that. And I used to play a lot of his stuff. And people ask you to play different numbers, you know what I mean? See, I'd play a lot of hillbilly stuff too. Turkey in the straw and all that kind of stuff. Coming around the mountain when she come. We're going to kill that old red rooster and all that. Kind of stuff. I'd play just about any kind of music. And it would just be you and the harmonica. That's right. You don't you don't hear that as much anymore. I know you don't. They can't do it. Did you hear that thing I made by myself? I shake my hand. Yes. Yeah. It don't sound too bad, do it? No. I'm by myself. But it, it just seems like a lost art to a certain degree. No, not when you know what you're doing. But I mean, not many people are doing it. <laughs> For how many years did you play on Maxwell Street? Um, up till, uh, what, about 49 or 50, something like that. Yeah. If I was to ask you for your definition of the blues, what the blues means to you, how would you answer that? What it means to me? Well, uh, to me, that's an inheritance. You understand? And it's strictly black people's inheritance. You know that. And what makes that? 
captivity. That's why the blues will never die. Didn't you hear the song that I wrote about? Mm -hmm. huh? You were there when I recorded it. Well, I got a home in the county now. The blues ain't gonna live with us. Didn't you hear that? You was in the studio. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Then how do you feel about knowing the heritage, and I know the, the history and whatever, how do you feel about um, non-blacks playing the blues? How do I feel about it? Oh, they can play them, let them play them, but they don't have them. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh. That's right. So you've never come across any white players who impressed you in terms of their conviction and their execution of the blues, or? Yeah, well, uh, there is a type of blues just about for everyone, but there is a real blues from captivity and deprived of different things. You know that. Now, sure everybody have troubles, you know what I mean? And that's what blues is, you know. Now, uh, people that don't, don't really understand the blues, now of other races, now a lot of them go out Drink hard and heavy and smoke all that kind of stuff. Come out, that's the blues. No, and then you're killing your damn self. That's right. Let's talk. I, I had a good friend, Whitehart Montebell. Loved him. Good man, William Clarks. You know with him? Yeah, he's a good man. He could really play too. And I used to tell him about that, you know, me and quit drinking so much, you know, I'm doing that's, that's not the blues. He plays a nice harmonica. I loved him. Good man. That's not the blues. You don't know when you got the blues. Won't nobody have to tell you. You, you have been in conditions your own self. You have had things to trouble you. You ain't lived through this world trouble-free all of your life. See, I know that. Uh -huh. And yet, you also have a lot of humor in your blues. Yeah. So it's not really only about troubles. Right, right. Can you talk about that other aspect of the blues? Because there is that other side. I mean, when you yeah. were going to the parties. Sure. When you know life and understand life, the part of the life that you can live without the blues, you do. You don't give up. You know what I mean? You see, when it's a condition that you can't master and can't handle, and if it's out of your power, why die behind it? You still got life. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's the other side of, of what you hear of me. I know exactly what you're talking about. So the, the parties that you used to play at when you were young and not telling your dad about, I mean, those would be the fish fries? With, well, that was the good part. That would be the house parties? Yeah, that, that would be the good part. You know what I mean? I'm loose out there and I'm having my fun and I'm doing what I want to do. You know what I mean? 
Well, you see, <laughs> yeah, I had more than one type of blues. You understand? If my daddy caught me doing it, <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Well, what I got from under that pressure, you know, at home. Oh, my, I was glad to go out there with James Scott, you know what I mean, get me a few dollars, you know what I mean, and uh, drink me a little homebrew. I ain't never been no real drinker, nothing like that. And I ain't never smoked a reefer since I've been on the face of this earth. And I ain't never used an ounce of dope since I've been in this world. I never wanted it. Mother Water, Harlem, Wolf, Floyd, Moody, and all of them, they used to call me a square. Babyface, Leroy, Eddie Taylor. Cause I wouldn't go in the bathroom and smoke that stuff with them. I didn't want it. Even all through the army, I could have smoked it and could have used this young hunger proof, uh, what you call them to get out the Spencers in the army. But I just never cared for nothing like that. And it was simply that, you just never cared for it. Right. Uh -huh. I don't care how hard the blues hit, I didn't want it. <clears throat> If you make it up in your mind to survive, you know what I mean, you can make it. And when you learn and know the condition, it don't hurt as bad. Now, let me make a little illustration to you. Now, me and you sitting here talking, if I punch you unknowns, I could really get a good lick in on you, right? It would hurt you worse. But if I'm prepared and I'm knowing this lick is coming, I'm knowing it's there, what will I do? I'll duck. See what I mean? That's the way you have to live your life if you learn and understand. You don't die because you have the blues. This is a condition that's out of my power. What, gave, what, gave, what do you think gave you that wisdom from such a young age? I mean, at the age of 18 or 16, when you were in Chicago, I'm sure that there was a lot of opportunities. And you were young and um, probably less wiser, um, maybe more eager or whatever. But even then, you thought, this is not the route that I want to take. Well, I'll tell you, it's a mystery. And if you want me to tell you, I ain't never been no fool. Now, I'm kind of quiet, you know what I mean, and different things. You have to dig it out, and you never know it. And you, you want a little bit deeper? No. My wisdom from on high. Now, you know something else? I've never been a churchgoer in my life. Out of all of my family. And uh, there's seven more kids besides me. All the rest of them, quartet singers, deacons and stuff like that, I've never been there in my life. Now you tell me why my, my father's a Baptist minister? Now you tell me why. I don't know how he got away from going to church <laughs> if he was a bad minister. <laughs> He made me go to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But after I started growing up and being my own man, you know what I mean, then I, I left Mississippi. And, and how did you decide Chicago? I mean, 
just because everybody was going that way, could could you have stopped in Memphis and stayed there, or? I have stayed in Memphis, but not too long. See, I used to travel a whole lot. I used to uh, Arkansas, Alabama. I used to go all over playing the harmonica. I used to wear hogs around my waist. And uh, time to come reddish, I didn't reddish. You know what I mean? I was too busy. Uncle Sam made me pay for it. So I got drafted in the Army when I was 20 years old. Never had a furlough. <laughs> and didn't stay, on, didn't stay on this side but nine months. So Uncle Sam made me pay for it. Well, I was a little bit too busy to register, you know what I mean, for the Army. When you, when you did the, the traveling, I presume it wasn't like you're going on tour and you had dates booked. No. How, how did that work? Well, uh, you know, you could be traveling different towns and little cities and things like that. And I used to blow my heart. I don't care where I stopped. And I used to stand on the street corners in different towns and blow my heart. And now people come along and see it. Well, uh, as young as I was and as uh, good as I could play, that was unusual. Well, then people said, we have the party in such a such a place, could we carry you out there? You're... And then I have stayed with people a while like that. And then when I get tired, I'd move up to somewhere else, you know what I mean? I'd move up to another town or city or something. But it was almost always just a matter of, I mean, just On the move. Just, I'm going to go somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then stop and play wherever I can. That's right. And sometimes used to sleep whenever I could. I was determined. And was that tough being with the racial <clears throat> conditions the way they were? No, because uh, you know how to avoid different things, you know what I mean? No, it wasn't so bad. Until you was caught on one of them trains. I used to hobo too, and then you was caught on one of them trains or something, you know what I mean? And a uh, special, special agent would catch you. You might have a little problem there if you didn't blow your way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and the audiences were mainly black, or were huh? there white audiences as well at that point? White audiences too. On the street corners? Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Most of them was always white, you know, that's where you got your money from. Black didn't have nothing to give you back in them days. <laughs> Shit, they was the worst off that wall. <laughs> um, and how long did you do the hoboing or the traveling around? From uh, the age of 16, you know, from the time that I left, you know, me and went into Chicago. And then I used to leave Chicago sometime and then go back down in uh, Arkansas and Tennessee and Alabama, different places like that, you know, and go back to my native place, Chicago. When you look back on those days now, how do you look, how do you see it? How do you picture it? Do they look like good old days or do they? They were good old days. 
They was building the water if I'd have stayed still there in the Mississippi. <laughs> They, 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 they was good old days. I was working for myself and I wasn't asking nobody for nothing. Can you tell me about Sonny Boy 1 and 2? It's, I, I, I have a vague idea as to why there are two of them, but I'm not really clear on the story and I would presume that you would know. Like, when I started studying the blues, it just never made sense to me that there would be two Sonny Boy Williamsons. What's the story behind that? Well, I'm going to tell you this, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Now, the story behind that, even uh, before I left the South, uh, Sonny Boy, number one, was recording and putting out records. At that time, they didn't have no... Uh, pictures on your record or nothing like that. And uh, another thing, Sonny Boy number two was a better harmonica player than Sonny Boy number one. Don't get me wrong, Sonny Boy number one was good, but it's something about Sonny Boy number two. Now, can't nobody play no harmonica like him either, you know. Well then, uh, in the South, Sonny Boy's number one record would come south and everything, and then Sonny Boy number two, which is Rice Miller, yeah, well his real name is Elliot Miller, but I've been knowing him ever since 1927. Then he took uh, Sonny Boy's number one name and everybody, and some people's right now. Think that he's the real Sonny Boy. He took uh, General Lee Williams, which is Sonny Boy number one, he took his name. And then uh, in 1947, after I got discharged out of the Army, back into Chicago, then I took a trip down to uh, Helena, Arkansas, and I seen Sonny Boy number two, which I've been doing all, all of my life. And uh, harmonica was pretty tough to get then. You know, I was in war time, you know. And uh, I gave him uh, a F harmonica. He told me he didn't have no harmonica. And uh, I gave him a C harmonica. So John was with me. And I asked him, I said, uh, you got people thinking all the time that you the real Sonny Boy. See, now I've been in Chicago, you see, and I've played with the Sonny Boy, number one. I said, why would you take his name and got everybody thinking that you are the real Sonny Boy? And so he told me, don't spill the bean. This is exactly what he did. Don't, don't spill the bean. Uh, <clears throat> Don't uncover me. Now that was in uh, hell in the Arkansas. And so I told him I wouldn't, you know. Uh, it was way years later for Sonny Boy number two ever come to Chicago. So he, and then uh, Sonny Boy number one went to Helena and made him 
change everything and clarify himself. Sonny Boy came from Chicago and went to Helena and had a meeting with Sonny Boy number two. And so uh, they agreed, I guess they agreed for him to keep on wearing the name, you know what I mean, but they, they settled that thing off. Now, Sonny Boy number two, when he first started out, he used to call himself Little Boy Blue. Now, I know, I know both of them. And that's who you used to see when you were young, is it not? Sonny Boy number two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't meet Sonny Boy number one that was about 1941, I believe, well, 41 or 42. Then Chicago, he lived in St. Louis before he came to Chicago. Because <coughs> uh, when I first got discharged out of the Army in 1945, Sonny Boy number one was still in Chicago and he was playing on Madison Street in Oakley. And uh, that club has a ladder. You go up the ladder and then up in the ceiling, that's where they had the, that's where they had the bandstand at, you know. And I was still in uniform. Well now I used to go to this club before I went in service. And all those people there, they know me after I got discharged out of the army. They used to call me Apple Tree Swain. Now that was one of Sonny Boy's old number. Sonny Boy number one. And so that's what they left to have me play before I went in the army. And then uh, they asked Sonny Boy, could I play a number? And yeah, I goes up the ladder and go to the bench, on the bench stand. With my harmonica out, uh, Lazy Bill and Eddie Bard was playing with uh, Sonny Boy, number one. That's who he had backing him. And I get up there singing his song, Look at that honey, way over there by the apple tree. He got up from the table where he was sitting down with two women's and another guy come out there in front of him. Come down, he called everybody June. Come down, June, come down, June. I got off the bandstand, was coming down, got over one or the other. And no sooner I got full enough before he could reach up and get me in the collar in the back there. I goes down on the floor. <clears throat> he told me, he said, God damn, God damn, June said, you, you don't respect me, you don't respect me. He said, don't ever do that, saying you'll never get on my bandstand no more. So uh, I say about three weeks later, I was playing out there on a 63rd and Cottage Grove little place out there. He come in there and caught me playing in there, and he put the union on me, made me get a union card. Now that's how long I've been in the union. And so finally me and him made friends, you know what I mean? But he told me, no, it was, see, I was getting more applause than he was on his own song. I'm young, stupid. <laughs> I was having fun. I still had on my uniform. So he told me, don't ever do that again. 
And he, he was he was a good person. He used to shirt off his back. He was a good person. But everybody, and he drank a lot too. Everybody was named June too. And every word he spoke, goddamn, goddamn June. <laughs> you stopped playing the blues for a little while. Yeah. Was that a difficult thing to do? No, not for what I stopped for. Cause my family had started out growing my salary in music. You understand? I had five boys and two girls. And uh, I told you already, you know what I mean, I've been the funny type. I ain't the type waiting for a handout. And by the way, I am a master carpenter. Now, I'm good at craftsmen. I'm better with craftsmen than I am with that harmonica. And I dig that. And so, uh, after my family started growing, and then uh, I took out and went back to crafting work, you know what I mean, to support my family. Did you miss 80 the years old, I ain't never had a hand out, I ain't never had an ADC check in my life, and I don't want them. Did you hear me singing that song about the welfare line? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's right. That's where all my songs and things come from, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Did you miss it at all when you were not playing? What did I tell you a while ago? When you set yourself up for a thing, just like I was telling you, if you ain't paying no attention, if I'm finna give you a blow, you can get a hell of a blow, you know what I mean, if you ain't paying, but if you Sit for that blow. You're going to ward off part of that blow. But I'm thinking we talked about the gift, and you obviously have the gift to That's play. That's right. And, and you, you made money doing this. This was your living. It was part of a big part of your life. Yeah. And to all of a sudden just let that go. It, you uh, well, well uh, you don't think my family is a big part of my life? I'm not saying that. Huh? But I'm just saying that you, know, you and your harmonica and the contributions that you've made to the blues. Sure, I sacrifice. My music for my family. But was it a point where you actually didn't pick up the harmonica at all during that time? Or you, well, I've got news for you. I don't pick up a harmonica now. There's no going out to play. I never rehearse. That's right. I don't never rehearse. That session I cut the other day, them guys didn't know what I was going to play. I never rehearsed it. I just written the songs down. You never catch me. My kids even now that's the question they ask me. Daddy, how do you go out and work like you do and you don't never you don't never rehearse? I got a son, he plays bass for me everywhere I go. You know, he wants to come over and rehearse. I told him, if you're a musician, you don't need to rehearse. At what point did you not need to rehearse though? Because when you first started, you had to practice. Yeah, yeah. I practiced then when I was learning. When I was learning, you know, I mean, all the ins and outs. No, I swear, I don't, I don't never rehearse. Never. Because it's so much the moment, it's so much how you feel then when you play. No, it's just there. It's just there, like I'm talking to you. And I don't care who played and who on the bandstand, I never fear. No. And if you get on the little harmonica, I know what I'm going to do for them.
That's right. Don't ever cross me. <laughs> <laughs> what would be? What's the key to playing a good blues harmonica? Well, uh, I'm gonna tell you like I told some people in California a couple years ago when uh, they was interviewing me. They asked me the same question and asked me how do you blow a harmonica like that and how you get that kind of sound and that kind of work out of a harmonica. You know how to cook a good kidney stew? Well, beef kidney yeah. or... Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I can. Yep. Uh, like, well, they make stews out yeah. of that sometimes, yeah. You don't know how to make one? You have to cook it for a while. That's right. Let the flavor. Right. Okay. So I told those people you had to cook the piss out of it. <laughs> so, so you had to blow the piss out of it. That was your question. <laughs> if, okay. So no, you really. Let, let me rephrase it then. If I was to ask you, okay, let's say David came up to you and said, uh -huh. I'm, "I'm a young harmonica player." Mm -hmm. What advice would you give him to be a good harmonica player? Same, same advice. <laughs> he has a little bit of pill. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm crazy, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but that would be the advice. That would be the advice you would give him. Yeah. No, you gotta know what you're doing, you know what I mean? Then you got to pay strictly attention to it. And then you you got to want to before you can do anything. You got to have a desire, you know what I mean? But just like I said, you know what I mean? Mine, I know mine is a gift, you know? And the only thing I would tell her, harmonica player, you know what I mean? Well, since I'm getting old, I, I know quite a few secrets. Since I'm getting old, I can't get nobody no stick to break my neck with now, you know what I mean? You understand? I can't get you no stick to crack my head with, you know what I mean? I can't, I, I can't give you all these you know, things until I get out of the music, you know what I mean? Because you put me on, you make me look shame. <laughs> oh, that's some good advice. <laughs> Um, what made you come back to the blues? What made you come back, return to the music industry, the blues music? No, it was uh, more easier, you know what I mean? And then uh, I had people warn me to come back into the music world. And then I was getting letters from all overseas and everywhere, you know what I mean? I, then my family had that growing up, you know what I mean? And part of them was out taking care of their own self. And then when I came back to the music, everything just tripled, megabucks for me. Did that surprise you? What? How much you were missed? Yeah. Well, it wasn't no surprise. I know people was going to kind of miss me out there. See, you don't know what I put into music, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like to play music for myself and what I like. You understand? Mm -hmm. It's just like a good salesman. 
You know what I mean? Long as you got the merchandise, you're always in business. This man, he taking all this in. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, he taking all he taking all this in. You know what I mean? Because it sounds good to you, you know what I mean. You want to play what you want. To. That ain't it. You play what, regardless whether you like it or not, play what the people want. And me, I can never be in a club, never been there before. I can go in there and play one number, and I can tell what will set the people off. You can't do that. That's right. You ought to see me when I was in Japan or whatever. I had those people really, really dancing, and they had about uh, at least ten bands. Even Lord Fulton, he was over there. I put everybody to shame. I'm the only one made the knack of paper. I'll tell you what, I'll send you a copy of it when I go back home with my picture in this paper in Japan. You see? Did you have that when you when you had stopped for I don't know how many years you actually stopped playing, but oh uh, from uh from about fifty up until about sixty nine or seventy sixty nine I think it was. Okay, mm -hmm. then but you stopped from sixty nine to no 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 from from uh, fifty up to about fifty two I think up to about nineteen sixty nine. I just come back in nineteen sixty nine or seventy. Okay. Yeah. When you came back, and you hadn't, <coughs> you hadn't really played during that time. I was double strong. Did you still have it? When yeah, you yes indeed. And you hadn't rehearsed? No. No. Not only hadn't rehearsed, I only had one A harmonica, an old standby A. And I think I still got it. I kept that for a souvenir. Is it still in tune? Huh? Is it still in tune? Oh, it's still together. It ain't in tune. <laughs> I blowed the piss out of it. <laughs> what do you think about the new generation of the blues? What you hear out there now? Well, I like all music, you know what I mean? But uh, some of them ain't really, ain't really doing it, you know what I mean? They is doing it, but they don't have the flavor to it, you know what I mean? Well, and the blues ain't nothing, rock and roll ain't nothing but up-tempered, up-tempered blues, that's all it is. That's all it is. Are there any new blues artists or the newer generation of people that you, you're impressed by? What, you talking about harmonica players now? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, like I was telling you about Clark, and then he started putting too much of uh, jazz in his music and uh you got a guy live here, Michael Pickett. You know him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a nice harmonical player, I mean him's a good friend. And Kim Wilson, he's a good harmonical player. And a guy used to live here named Jeff Baker. He was damn good. You still got some pretty good harmonical players out there. But they just don't know what to play. If I was to come to you and say, I've never heard the blues, what album or song would you recommend for me to listen to that to you 
represents the blues. In this mess up too much, yes. <laughs> and who's that by? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was just, I, I was just kidding you. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lot of good. Oh, I know that. But is there one thing that you would say you should listen to this? And I know it's a tough question because there's so much out there. But if you thought, to me, whenever I hear this song, it, it captures the true essence of the blues. Is there such a song like that? Well, I'll tell you one song that stands out with me just about all the time. But uh, Sonny Boy Number 2, Nine Below Zero. Now that's one, that's one song that stands out, you know, with me just about all the time. But I ain't never heard Nair Harmonica play or play it yet. And I've asked him to play it. And I can play it perfect. In Nine Below Zero. But uh, I like some, you know, all harmonica play. I didn't like music, period, but I like harmonica music. And I'll make him play me a number before he goes to. <laughs> You're, we were talking about this before about you playing with your son. How did you feel about it when your son said, I'm going to go into music? Well, uh, if he wants me to tell you something, uh, my son didn't know I was famous until after I retired. I didn't encourage them to go into music. I never fought with them. I never told them to go into music or nothing because I know what life it was out there. I know they would get into that reefers and heroin and all that kind of rock cocaine, all that kind of stuff. My son was talking to me about that the other day. And then uh, when I did carry him out, I carried him to a England, Scotland, France, and Germany, and Belgium. First time I ever took him out. Didn't take him in the United States, I took him overseas. And, uh, oh, just so many people, so many people, and so many people was glad to see me, you know what I mean? And he told me, he said, Daddy, he said, I never would have thought and never would have known she was this famous. No, I didn't. I didn't bother them. I didn't tell none of them about it, you know what I mean? They, they were grown before they ever noticed, you know, <laughs> that I was famous in the world. Do you think that they have the gift as much as you had the gift? A couple of them, yes. My daughter, she sings too. But knowing what you know about the business and about the life of a musician, did you feel that it was something you wanted to encourage them to do or discourage them to do? Neither way. You know, I wanted them to live their own life, you know what I mean? But I didn't want them to be no drunk and no jickhead and all that kind of shit. No, I ain't never believed in nothing like that and no beggar. And on the government for stamps and stuff. I'm 80 years old and I ain't never had a food stamp in my life. The connection that you have on stage when you play with 
with your family. Can you explain that? I mean, there's a certain connection that you would have playing with your son on stage that you probably wouldn't have with any other musician. Is that true? Is that true to say? Yeah, sure. Now, since he done sit under me and all, I done told him a few things. He ain't gonna get up there, you know, and mess up. No. He knows and he understands. You understand what I'm saying? And, uh, I have played with bands <clears throat> I ain't never seen before and ain't so since. I can play with anybody. And just about anybody can back me, you know what I mean, because, uh, if they can't make the grade, I can lower, I can, you know what I mean, I can lower the music where they can get it. And then I can put it out of sight where they can't get it. But, is there a difference between even a top-notch band and playing with your family, with your son? Like, is there a connection that, that can't be achieved with any band because you have that family? Yeah. Yeah, even Andrew was talking about that when uh, we were recording. Yeah, he told me, I need Earl there on the bass. Well, you see, they know better anyway, you know what I mean? They know I'm not going to stand that messing up, you know. You're going to have to play right when you're going to the because you know. Well, I'm talking about my son, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, and, and I don't want to catch him looking off too much and missing notes. That's right. That's right. If you're going to be what you're supposed to be, do it. You know what I mean? You know, there was no hammer down shit. You play that shit like it ought to be played. <laughs> and um, then, you won't have, then you won't have no trouble out of me. They, they won't have no trouble out of me. But anybody else can get up there, you know, and make mistakes. Well, I ain't going to have too much of crossing up, you know, crossing my music up, you know. I ain't going to have too much of that, you know. What I mean? The way you see blues today, as opposed to the way you saw it, in your younger years, how different is it, or is it different at all? Well, I tell you, music is never finished. Or did you know it? Hmm? Mm -hmm. Okay. Music is never finished. There's always something to learn. You pick up on this too. There's always something to learn about music. I'm going to give you a little tip. Have you ever watched people dance or do you know how to dance? I think so. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm going to give you a little tip. Don't play this to everybody. Watch people's movement. You know, watch people's movement in the club. You know what I mean? And if it's a new club, you know, and you ain't got everything if you had to play the same song but change different words, keep that movement and you got a crowd. That's right. I can watch people movement, play anything they want to keep them happy. You know what I mean? And when you see them all in a lot of drinks and stuff like that, keep your music hot. Mm. Yeah, but they ain't going nowhere. When you come off the bandstand and see them all and stuff, you ready for another good show? <laughs> <laughs>
watch them tables, but when they start cleaning them tables, I'll do it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm giving you this information. <laughs> He's opening up for you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, yeah? I, I'm playing tomorrow, yeah. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah. You must play with Teddy Lennon. I, I play a bit with Jack the Kaiser. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but I also have my own band. Oh, you have your own band? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, man, you got to fight tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to be watching them yeah. people tomorrow. That's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> Let's keep those people booging. I bet you one thing. I bet you I'll pull them all the boogers. I bet you I'll pull them to dancing. If the guy in the place dance, take a bet with I, I, I won't bet you on huh? that one. I'll lose my money. <laughs> I'm pretty smart too, sometimes. Uh, uh, and I bet you another thing, if anybody get bogus tomorrow, I bet you I'll steal the show. <laughs> I'm going to keep my money in my pocket. And you know what? I'll give you the large end. Yeah, if I bet five on, you know what I mean. I'll give you. You, you only. I'll take two. I take two hundred and bet you five. Snooky, but to be honest with you, it's not. He's not. It's not his band that's playing. He's working for another band. Yeah. So it's a little unfair. If it was his band, it would be a close one. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't have as much control over things. If, if it was my band, I wouldn't mind losing the money. <laughs> I would put my money on the table. <laughs>